Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. featuring Kiki Holiday. That was an artist who we actually found on Instagram, and they just released that single this week. Hi, Carl. Hi, Greg. How are you both doing Hi. today? Hey, Nicole. Hey, Greg. I like that tune. It's um, it, it, it reminds me of like, uh, I think we talked about it last week about, you know, uh, or a few weeks ago about that movie, um, Echo Canyon from Laura Canyon, you know, mm-hmm. Echo and, La- and that song reminds you of that kind of time, like a throwback from a kind of retro 70s LA singer songwriter. I don't know, just kind, kind of, of reminded me of that. kind of finger picking figure. Yeah, real yeah, simple yeah, and really yeah. cool. I, cool. I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I like the play between both John and Kiki too. Like, just they, they seem to work very well together. Yeah. So, but but the artist is John, right? The artist is John, correct. So it's like a featuring. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about this episode because we are talking all about 
fandom this week, right, Greg? I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so? I'm certainly a fan. Oh, I'm a, or a, dumb, or dumb fans. <laughs> fan dumb, <laughs> dumb fans. Right? Yeah. So, no, we were just we. You know, it seems to be a theme that kind of runs through a, a thread that runs through the podcast. You know, I mean, we and we actually when we first started, we were like, you know, we're a fan of so much music and we're, we identify as loving the music. So it, 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 I think it's an interesting topic. You know, there are a lot of different fans out there. There's like the kind of fan that I was, was I was like, you know, sitting in the rafters and watching a rock show back in the seventies. And I had field glasses. Well, you, you know? were more of an aficionado though. See, when I was an artist, when I was doing a, a you know, I always kind of didn't like the word fans, like calling people my fan, mm. because it was almost like I always thought it was derogatory, you know, wrong, maybe rightfully or wrongfully so. I always thought of them people who enjoyed my music, you know, or people who appreciated what I did. You know, I don't know where that if, where the distinction is there, because I thought fan was almost like, you know, they're like, oh, a fan, you know, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, missing. I mean, I guess the derivation of the term is fanatic, fanatic. fanatic. Right. So, I mean, I, it, yeah, it is kind of condescending to say this person's fanatical about what I do. But, you know, that that's an interesting aspect to the whole thing is because we've all been around the music business for so long. I mean, I, I've seen fandom from the other side, you know, from the artist side, from the management side, from the backstage side where you know you you kind of have to put special measures in place when you're on the road to like avoid certain people and that kind of thing it's there's not that I, i don't think it rises to the level of the dark side of fandom but uh you know there. i'll tell you something strange again like i don't you know i never had really any really major you know, success, but I did have a little, a little bit of success. I had a few fan letters and I had one, I had this one fan letter from some woman who, um, just bought my CD when she was traveling in New York one day and just saw me at a, at the bitter end and bought my CD and wrote me this big long letter about, she was from Memphis and she wrote me a letter about, um, you know, a year or so later, I loved your CD and helped me through this one time and stuff. You know, I was going through this depression, but your lyrics, blah, blah. And it was really touching. And she kept on writing me letters just before email and stuff. If you're ever in Memphis, I just said, well, I happen to be in Memphis like, you know, next month. So we met. We met, literally we met at the, the Sun Records Diner, you know, where, you know, where we're Sun yeah, Records right. Museum. There's a diner around outside there. It was kind of weird, you know. So again, my small little like, you know, dealing with this, it was bizarre because she expected me to be some kind of like, she expected me to like, I don't know, like to give her some wisdom <laughs> and I had nothing to give her. You know, I was like, right. hey, I glad you're like, hey. So it, it's kind of she wanted, weird. So she, wanted the imagine- deep, she wanted the deep shit, Carl. Right. It's almost like, so I can only imagine what it must be like to be like McCartney or Dylan. Like, I, again, I'm, I'm going on and on. I just saw this documentary. Was it No Direction Home by Scorsese and Dylan? Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where Dylan was being asked all these ridiculous questions like, so what's it like to be the voice of a generation? And he goes, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just, I'm not, you know, like, like, so it's anyway. I I guess maybe, I guess maybe one differentiation is that I've always considered myself a fan of the music. So, you know, I mean, the, the artist or the musician or the band, they're, they're just channeling the stuff. Right. So, I mean, I, I never really, I never really took that much interest in, you know, their, their personal lives or, 
I guess the celebrity of being uh, uh, in a band or really? a musician. Are you kidding me? No, you, you, I, you, didn't, you didn't think Bowie was like so cool. Like <laughs> Bowie's just cool. Yeah, but like, I, I mean, love- yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely think he was. He's like you know one of the like best. He tra- almost transcends his music because Bowie's music is great, but he's Bowie. You know, like yeah. he, everything about him is like just hip. He well, always had a cool haircut. <laughs> the more you know, the more you would see. I mean, you know, the, the more interviews were made available and that kind of thing. Kind of became a fan of his intellect, you know. I mean, he even died cool, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it's part of the plan, right? <laughs> right, it's like exactly. Anyway. But I, I have been thinking a lot about the different fandoms. I think that there's, um, I think there really are fans of celebrity, and then there are fans of music. There are fans of musicians, right? right. You know, there then there's stuff like Comic Con where you become fanatical about a, a particular trope or 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 story world or 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 characters well, there's, there's, a, there's a funny there's a funny snl skit with william shatner oh yeah the, of course. From back from the 80s when william shatner and, and and the skit was he's at comic-con you know and they're the star trek convention you know right. or something and, and they're all going so mr shatner so in episode six you know the third scene you you move to the right instead of the left was that a conscious decision and right and the guy he just looks at them and says, "Hey, buddy, get a life." Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, that's become that's become a cliche in and of itself. And I, you right. know, I, I've really, uh, you know, I I have discovered that in in my um, my appetite for music and my love of music. I mean, it's almost always the case when you meet or get to talk to somebody that made a record that you fell in love with thirty years ago. You can, I'll, I'll bet you that you've heard that record a hundred times more than the people that made it did, right? Right, you're probably right, yeah. And and so, I mean, that's just the way we interact with the music. And so I can tell you that, you know, I I know every lick on the first six Elton John records. I mean, absolutely, positively, every lick. I think I've memorized the the positions on the board, you know, the the outboard uh, effects on every track. I mean, I just, I listen to those records I know hundreds, if not thousands of times, I know those records so well, and they're so magical for me. Uh, and if I ever got to meet Elton John, I, I would resist talking about, you know, the, what kind of reverb they used on the Vibra slap on, you know, Captain Fantastic. And he probably goes, I don't know, I was drunk in the bathroom when that, that, that happened. <laughs> That's right. Well, it feels like, yeah, it feels like Nicole wants to say share, something. We, you know? It feels like Nicole wants to speak and we just keep on, you talk, Nicole. Well, no, and I mean, we've had a little bit of time to think about this. And with fandom, Greg, you were kind of talking about like how there's different sectors of fandom. So you can be a fan of the artist, a fan of the actual music, you know, things like Comic-Con and things like that. But I think you're also potentially forgetting the generational type of fans. And this is just how people have been fans of things throughout like their lives. Because I think for me, at least I have been able to go through when CDs and actual fan clubs were available all the way through the birth of streaming music and how people can access it now. And being a fan of music back in like, the late nineties, early two thousands is completely different than what it is now because back then you couldn't pick up a phone and look to see what your favorite band is doing today or where they're playing or what 
taco bar they're eating at. Back in the day, you had to go to their show and you engaged with their fans and you were kind of around the vibe and the, and the crowd at that time of who was actually liking what they're doing. So I think there's also a generational aspect to fandom as well. I think that's true. I think that uh, with with the birth of digital and, you know, with this kind of hyper engagement that all the artists engage in, back in the day, it would have been a complete impossibility for an artist to reach out to a fan directly via Twitter or something along those lines. So, I mean, that would have been, I mean, it's just so odd when you look at old film footage of we like talking about the Beatles here. I know very little about them, but when you, when you look at that kind of mania that was, you know, with, with people crying and pulling, right. pulling their faces down and contorting their faces in anguish, but they were actually just listening to, I want to hold your hand. It's, it's a really bizarre character trait. I think I wrote a fan letter once. Wow. Carl. Wow. And not even as a young person, I'll say, I'll tell you this story. This is a true story. I don't know what it was, but it must have been around 94. So I was already an adult. I had, I had just gone to Tower. Remember Tower Records? Oh, yeah. And I just got this new, um, I'll tell you the song. It's Lisa Loeb, cassette single of Stay, you know, because that, which is a great story. In and of Pretty itself. iconic I, track, yeah. I think it's the only song ever to become number one without a record deal, you know, because of uh, the video that Ethan Hawke did. Anyway, and on the back, it's on the cassette. I loved the song. I thought it was just cool, you know, just vibey and acoustic and, I was in my Charlie Dog phase. So uh, on the back of the cassette was like, and to join Lisa's fan club, or to let her know, you know, and there was an address. So I write this letter saying, you know, hi, Lisa, I never do this, which I never did. I never did again. I just thought, I, I just thought, nothing silly. I just thought I really liked the tune, blah, blah, blah. And I mailed it off. Never got a response. So, but I wrote a fan letter. So <laughs> that, was, that was a boring story. <laughs> I no, came no. From, I mean, it's like it's it's very uh, odd. I think it's an odd experience. But I came from the generation where, like, you wrote fan letters and you would go to school and you would tell your friends, like, "Ooh, I wrote this letter to Hanson or, you know, the Spice Girls or Bewitched or whatnot," because right. that's just the generation we were in. And then, like, if you got a response, you would bring in that poster or that letter and show it off to everyone to be like, look, they actually wrote me back and they put my name on there, which at the time thinking about it, it was the coolest thing ever. Looking back, it's like, no, that was mass produced and they just stamped your name on there and sent it off. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you know. that you should, it's funny that you should mention Spice Girls because uh, I think, I think we've got a pretty cool question of the week this week. We do. So and, Carl, are you uh, ready? Because Greg said I, it and I, we're I just, ready I for it. What, what did he say? We have I a said, oh, go ahead, Greg. We have a cool question of the week. Oh, oh. And <laughs> if we were going to be put upon, if we you are, if we were going to be put upon to give you know our answer to the question of the week, Spice Spice Girls was going to be my band. You know, it's like Ooh. I, well, can I? Should I, I, I love tell the, the Spice Girls? Should I tell the question of the week so people understand why that? Let's, let's go. Why let's I'm go very interested in it. So let's the question of the question that we had this week is, is there a band or an artist that you at first did not like, but you are now a fan of? I love the fact that your answer is Spice Girls. Mark, because- mark down the Spice Girls for me. <laughs> you you didn't like them at first and now you do? Is what you're saying? Well, I, I mean, you know, I obviously saw it for what it was. It was like this manufactured, insipid, silly thing. And I, you know, immediately dismissed it. But then, you know, 
several years later, I'm like, man, those records are like, they're kind of cool. You know, they're just so infectious. Mine is, um, is almost hip, is stupider. Like, you know, I, when they first came out, I hated, I hated the police. I thought, who wants to hear this reggae? Ugh, it's garbage. And then as I, as then I got into it, I go, I just dug how, and I went, I've met Andy Summers since and, right. and like, what an amazing guitarist he is and what an inventive drummer and how that, how they really, they were great actually. I saw and them it, live and you know, I, I, I was actually struck by how bad uh, Copeland's meter was. I, I, I just no, didn't. I, no, I, I, I disagree. I, I think, uh, I think, I think, it, it, you know, songs again, were all the, over the place live. They really were. But sometimes that's good. Mm. So I don't think meter has to be right on, you know. That's what kind of makes it cool. I think speeding up and slowing down in in the mood of the vibe it can be great. I don't think everything has to be a metronome. It just me. felt it just felt out there was there was, you know, 45 minutes of no pocket. You know, that's what it felt like to me, but uh Well, they're obviously an amazing band. I mean, they that, made some uh, great records. Yeah, they really did. I enjoyed Nicole, seeing who, who's your who, who's your question of the week answer. Well, one, I will say I very much enjoyed seeing the police live at Jones Beach Amphitheater like 11, 12 years ago. They gave a really good performance. Um, so mine is probably going to make us lose a lot of followers <laughs> for however many that they are. Is it like the Archies or something? <laughs> no, no. So, Greg, you have been talking about like fandom. So this kind of goes into like when I was younger, all of like you got with a group of girls and you all liked the same music, whether it was Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or Blink-182 or whatnot. Like even if you didn't like it, you still went along and liked the band because that's how you were able to hang out and do things. And right, high right. school girls are just nasty and mean. <laughs> like, right, right. But I, for the very, very long time, resisted and at some point resented Taylor Swift. I thought that she sounded like cat scratching on a wall for a very long time. And it was to the point where I think she did a song for the Hunger Games. And I was like, I'm not watching the movie because of that. Like, I just, I could not stand her. I don't know what it was, but my 16-year-old cousin at the time was like, I don't know why you hate her so much. She's really good. Like, you should just take time to listen. And the only song I had ever listened to was Teardrops on My Guitar at that time, which was one of her first singles. Um, So I went ahead and listened to the latest CD that she had. And I was like, you know what? The fact is I probably didn't like her because at the time she rubbed me the wrong way because whatever I was going through probably like made me think that like she was like this crazy girl or whatnot, but she actually is a very good artist. (laughs) And like, I now enjoy her music and really like um, seeing what she's got going on. Cause not only is it her music, but it's how creative she gets and how she launches it and and how she gets her fans. So engaged with everything. Yeah. I think we we've talked about her a lot on this podcast and that would, that's something that I would have never imagined, but I, I, I think she is one of the hardest working people out there, and I. Um, uh, I and she's I, navigating, and she's navigating the the industry, which is like you know having a couple of hits is one thing, but being an artist or or a celebrity in the in the music industry for any length of time, and and keeping it going, and keeping that's in and of itself, like you know, a perfect example. Like I really don't appreciate musically Justin Bieber, but one thing I do know about the the music industry, this might be a little digression. Just to have a career in this music industry for any length of time and to stay at that level of success throughout, you know, for a period of years, 
you got to give it to these people for doing that because it's, you know, whether you like what they're doing or not, it's a tough industry, man. You know, they, yeah. they chew oh, you up is. and spit you out pretty quick. And to be able to like, you know, sustain for any length of time is it, commendable. So anyone who's out there is doing it. Even the worst player in the major leagues is still pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I think too, the rise of social media has really made it where like, these artists are under a microscope 24 seven because there is so much access given and the lines between like the public sphere of life and the private sphere are so blurred that there is not even really a line anymore that you can do one thing that like pisses off the wrong fan and it gets completely (laughs) sensationalized in the whole cancel culture thing where like you really have people just, I think are scared now to even like make one wrong step because it could impact how their career is. Now, it used to be where being a rock star was the coolest job because who cares? You can say whatever you want. If you ask me, probably, even now, the coolest job in the world is being Howard Stern. He just gets to say what he wants, whatever he wants, to whoever he wants, and who cares? And no, no one even it doesn't matter. It, I, I, I think he has the best job. You better have a job where you can go on the radio and talk to millions of people every day and say whatever you want about anything and, and tough. And who cares? You know, well, and he, he's had some instances and in, in years where he's had backlash and people come after him. But the fact right. that is, he's been on the radio for, what, 20, 25 plus years 35 now? 35 years. 35 years. And, I mean, he's still here. He's still relevant. Pe- millions of people listen in daily. I mean, you have to give that guy credit. Like, oh, I, I don't. I, I love him. I love him. When you started talking, uh, Nicole, about fans being generational, I, I thought you were going to go down the road of uh, the people that had celebrity back in the day that now all of a sudden maybe don't have a fan base anymore. And that I'm finding that more and more in my life as I get older, that the people that I revered, you know, the actors and the and the musicians, I mean, they're just kind of, you know, they're just old folks now and they don't have a fan base any longer. They may still be working, but they don't really have a fan base, and it's kind of a sad thing, you know. A perfect example of that, you know, back in when I was a kid, I have to admit I loved the Monkees, and at one time the Monkees rivaled the Beatles for, you know, in '67 they were like '66 they sold more records than the Beatles that year. And they the were, so, were huge. so misunderstood, so misunderstood. But the joke of it is, up until he died a few years ago, you could get down to the village and knock on Peter Tork's door, <laughs> and he would he would say, "Hey, what's going on?" He was hey. just some guy who lived in the village. Very strange i mean it's uh you know and it's like i don't know if i feel bad for the folks or if they uh, had their moment though that you know well and and i i wouldn't say feel bad because maybe they're happy with how it is now and happy with the fact that they had their career you know 20 30 years ago and they're able to still live a decent life and not necessarily have the (laughs) the entire public eye on them and scrutinizing them for anything they do they can kind of be like the private howard stern and do what they want and say what they want without the scrutiny now yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, well, you know, being an artist myself and not ever getting that kind of success, to have had that success for five years, you know, is amazing. You we know, could, so we could do a whole episode on the monkeys. It's really a fascinating story. And uh, I- want to play another tune? Yeah, let's play another tune. I mean, we're already twenty-two minutes into this. 
<laughs> right. Let's um yeah, we're talking. So this set, is set this, this is, up. Set this up. This is this is one of mine. And the reason why I want to play this tune because it's one of the songs I did probably back in the mid to late nineties. And uh it never was released anywhere. But what's cool about it is that I did it up in Boston with this with this cool producer at the time, the name of Tom Doobie. And when, and back in the day I used to play with this guy called Reeves Gabrels. Played with David Bowie. Currently he's in the he's in the cure. You know, he's a really great guitar player. I think he's down in Nashville right now. And Reeves is a, it's funny because this is like a track we didn't know what to do with. So we just kind of created it in the studio. Also, another friend of mine, Amy Kimball, played violin. So we just did this and he played banjo on it. It's just a, a really weird, funny track. So it's called In the Middle of the Day. Let's play it and then we'll talk about it on the flip side. Don't know where to go And you just wind up lost Somewhere else And all the creatures in the jungle Want to know Why does the pauper in the palace Die for the prince up on the shelf Cause man is only making sounds He's got no idea The hero's always lying down And I've got a question But I won't hang around here
that was in the middle of the day. I don't even know what that song's about. A couple of good lines in that song. I, I like it. It's kind of not really what I was doing at the time. It kind of became this rock track that I really wasn't a rock guy at that point. But it was fun working with Reeves, you know, because because um, he had some great stories to talk about. You know, he brings the with. rock too, and maybe that maybe there well, was some influence there. It's funny about talking about being a fan and then meeting your your heroes. I'll tell you the story about about Reeves that he told me about. His wife was this writer for the uh, Science Christian Monitor up in Boston, and she and she did a lot of publicist work for different bands. So when David Bowie was going on tour, I think it was his Glass Spider tour, one of those tours. You know, he needed a publicist, so he asked her, he, he asked around and he asked like, you think. U2's publicist, and they said, we know this girl, uh, Sarah Gabriels might be good. And then he asked Sting's publicist, and they said, this, oh, this, this is chick Sarah Gabriels you should check out in Boston. So with all these you know, references, he calls up Sarah. She goes, sure, I'll do it, but on the one condition. Once a month, because you know, of the world tour, once a month, you have to fly my husband to where we are so we can spend time. So that was the deal. Went on tour. So every month, Reeves would fly to wherever they were, you know, all over the world. Hang out, you know, and he got the new Bowie a little bit. Every month, you know, his wife would say, Reeves, tell David you play the guitar. And he goes, no, I, I don't want to be a, you know, just let's have fun. You know, he, you know but I don't want to. Anyway, anyway so the last day of the tour, right, before they're all saying goodbye, it was the last day of the tour. Sarah goes to David Bowie and goes, listen, David, you know, Reeves is too shy to ask. You know, you didn't want to be pushy. But here's a tape of him playing the guitar. He's a great guitarist. You should hear what he, maybe you can help him out. And that was it. That was in December. End of February, Reeves is at home in his in his apartment in in Boston, and he gets a phone call about three in the morning. You know, I, you know, you know, Reeves, who's this? He goes, it's David. He goes, get out of here. He hangs up. He's supposed to be hung up. He calls back and goes, Reeves, no, really, it's David. You know, we met on tour. He goes, yeah. Well, your wife gave me this tape. You're an amazing guitarist. I'm starting this new band, and I want you to come down to you know to Rio de Janeiro, and we're going to record this album. So that was like the band Tin Machine. It was Reeves and Bowie and the Sales yeah. Brothers. But, but this is the funny story about it. So when he got down there, it was like this air of improvisation. and Everyone was part of it, democratic. Everyone could bring their own ideas. And they all just built this together like one big unit. Like Bowie was just one of the guys, you know? Yeah. And, and Reeves loved it. A couple of years later, Bowie calls him up again and asks him to be a guitar player on his one of his new solo albums, a new Bowie album. Reeves goes down all excited, goes into the studio, sets up, starts playing around, starts improvising and doing stuff. And Bowie goes, Reeves, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just playing. He goes, no, no. Reeves, this is a David Bowie album. You will do exactly what I tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> like the way he could just switch hats, like from like the band was the band, but now it's a Bowie album. You do what I tell you. But he was one of the few guys, he said, meeting your, um, your heroes. He was one of those heroes you wanted to meet. Because he really lived up to who you thought he would be, he wasn't a disappointment. Yeah, it's so. funny. I don't. I don't know if uh, Reeves still lives in Nashville, but I think there was a time that that he did. Yeah, back in two thousand five. I have this. Yeah, I have this weird little story about him. I I had a exchange with him. I went to a show. Uh, there's a songwriter here in town who I really really like. His name is Tim Carroll, and uh, Reeves plays with Tim all the time. So Tim had a residency somewhere and. So I went out to see the show, and I, of course, knew Reeves through his work. I didn't know him personally, but you know, I knew all the work that he had done, and I actually knew that he'd played on that track of yours. And so we're standing out in front of the club, and I introduced myself, and I said, uh, man, um, I just read recently where you've done a record with probably my favorite guitarist of all time. 
uh, a guy named Bill Nelson, English cat that was the founder of a group called Bebop, Bebop, Deluxe. Bebop Deluxe. Yeah. And so, and Bill made, he's made 50 or a hundred records since, but, uh, uh, Reeves actually did a, a project with him, uh, just the two of them on guitar. And I think he was a little impressed that, you know, here's a guy standing right. in the middle of Nashville that knew about the Bill Nelson records, pretty obscure. Right. So, uh, we had a nice little exchange about that. And I said, and I also think we have a mutual friend. I think you played on a track of my friend, Carl Alaco. And at that point, he looked at me like, this guy must have the most obscure taste in music. I mean, he t- <laughs> comes to me talking about Bill Nelson, and now he's talking to me about Carl. It's like, yeah, it was, uh, he's, he's... I never met a guy who loved the guitar more than him. He literally, like, yeah. loved the instrument. Like, he would just sit in the corner and just play. We did more than a track. He played on about, about four or five tracks, and then also we actually played around a bit. We showcased together, you know, in my in a band I was doing. And those so, cure uh, those cure shows are gigantic, man. I mean, he's but one playing. thing of one thing of yeah, but one thing about Reeves that's kind of wonderfully infuriating is that when he records, he never likes to do parts. Just play the track, let it roll, and I'll play. He goes, yeah, we like that one part. No, no. Play it again, and he does something different. He is right. always doing something different, and basically, what you got to do is then comp three. You got to do three fly or four it lines, in, right? And then comp three or four tracks and create the part from because he never wants to just re- just do it again. That's He's got, funny. It's, yeah, so That's but funny. he was a great a great player, man. Yeah. Do you want to cool. hear some of the the people that answered our questions? See what they have to say. Sure. Should we do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, we should not actually have these the people. The question of <laughs> what? The question of the week. When are we going to stop it? When are we going to stop Remind them again um, what it was. So the question of the week is, is there a band or artist that you at first did not like, but now you are a fan of? Um, and we actually got three really good answers this week. So let's, hear, let's talk to Gwen first. This is Gwen Levy. Mm-hmm. So I originally was not a fan of Whitney Houston um, when I was younger. I didn't listen to the kind of music that she put out. Um, but as I got older, I learned more about the voice and by taking vocal lessons and I've learned to appreciate the voice more, um, and how to sing and just how technical and difficult that it can be. And I started listening to Whitney Houston more and more because she really is one of, if not the greatest singers of all time, um, and I can't get I Have Nothing out of my head. I think that's such a beautiful song. And I really didn't appreciate her until now. So she is somebody that I originally did not like. And now I do. I can relate to that because there was this singer that I really wasn't a fan of. Um, really like what she did either. And then I heard this one track once. I forget the tune. But um, I'm, but I shazammed it, you know, because I really loved it so much. It turned out to be Celine Dion. I go, whoa. And then I realized, you know, again, no matter what you think of her song sometimes, but her voice is amazing, Celine Dion. Well, I think that goes to the fact, too, like you can be a fan of an artist, but you don't necessarily always have to be a fan of the music that they're putting out. Like there may be one song that you relate to more than another, but they're still good. Like there's talent behind it. You can be a fan of a song or a fan of one thing. You don't got to... You don't got to go you know, down the rabbit a, it, hole and follow them to the you know right. place they're eating at or whatnot. 
I never really, I never cared for her because I always thought she oversang. You guys know that about me. If I, if I hear somebody over singing, I'm like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going there. But what's funny about it is that I'm a huge fan of probably the biggest over singer in the history of the recording business, and that's Anthony Newley. Oh, I love him. Oh. What kind I do too. of fool well, I, I, Yeah, there you go. Don't we'll have to license it. Don't sing it. I think Bowie totally ripped him off, actually. Oh man, there are there are tracks out there, uh David Bowie tracks out there where he is actually he's talked in the press about mimicking Anthony Newley. It's very strange. Let's very hear another strange. one. Let's hear from uh Austin English. Let's see what he had to say. I wouldn't say there's any bands or artists that I truly hated right out of the gate. There's definitely been some that I thought were just kind of okay. And, uh, and then later on ended up diving into their catalog and found some stuff that I really liked, but it wasn't because I thought, you know, that they were terrible or I hated them right off the bat. I just, I wasn't really into that kind of music at that particular time when I heard them the first time. Um, I kind of, I kind of get stuck in genres for chunks of time. It's really odd. <laughs> I agree with that. I get that. Well, I think that goes into another whole realm of fandom of, you know, you, you like different music at different points in your life and that's perfectly fine. I kept, I was, I kept waiting on him to tell us. The, yeah, the he example. was being politically correct. He didn't want to give yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't want to give it, which is fine. But it goes to, it, I think it goes to show that there's a, another side of the fandom aspect where, like, you can like something for a certain period of time, but it doesn't always have to follow you. Like, I know for me, back in the day when I was a teeny bop and high schooler, like, In Sync and Backstreet Boys were my absolute life. But looking back at it now, I'm like, really? Like, I mean, the, like, come on. One new thing that's going to happen is like, it's come up too much. Whenever we hear the, the phrase, back in the day, I'm going to do this. Because that, that comes up too much, back in the day. So anyway, so that'll be the, so matter of fact, you think so, so, you think so, so when I was a kid. But Carl, Carl. You don't my, say back in the day, just say that. But you, Carl, my, my life is back in the day. Right. Anyway, but you know what's funny? Also, but fandom too is about being, when you're younger, it's not cool to like certain things. You know, when I was in high school, you couldn't like Sinatra. You couldn't like disco. You couldn't like, you know, anything. You know, So you had to like, hey, man, yeah, that's, that sucks, you know. And then as you get older, you realize, come on, some of this stuff is great. Like Sinatra, man, there's this one record, the uh, Sinatra, the I think the Capital Years, where, you know, Summer Wind and all that stuff. It's, 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 See, I, it's, I, it's amazing. I have never experienced that. And I, maybe I'm just weird, but I, I've you never. You always liked it, even as a young man? I, if if I like something, I mean, I think to some degree we're all somewhat a product of of our parents and grandparents' record collections. So you know, but I I never would not say I thought something was great just because it was like some old fogey record. Well, you're you know? cooler than me because I was no, just one of those. I would I, I would do honest, it. I was one of those uptight teenagers who wanted to fit in and didn't want to look uncool. So you know, I just just by 
proxy or whatever the word would be. I just hated this stuff. Oh, no, that yeah. ain't cool. Well, and both, no. of you, both of you have never been a girl or an experienced what it's like to be a girl. So. Yeah. Well. Oh, excuse me. I, I used to be a girl. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's one of those things like when you're in high school, you just want to fit in so bad that like you, me you, too, me too. you'll say that you like something, even though maybe you really truly don't like it, just to go f- hang out with people for a night or get into a conversation or whatnot. But I will say as you get older, I've just personally not necessarily had the need to shout out from the rooftops who I'm a fan of. I just am a fan of the people I like and the genres of music I like, and I just go with the flow now. There was this, there, I wouldn't name any names. There was this girl in our clique who basically just took on the, the taste of the boy she was dating. And like, oh, I remember wow. this one. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, you know, she's this big deadhead. Oh, I love the dead, love the dead. And, and, and she couldn't, because she was dating a guy who was into the dead, right? She breaks up with that guy. And then she starts like, um, I think about two months later, like I see her again. She goes, how's the dead? Oh, they suck. I hate the dead. You know, you know who's great, man? You know, Metallica. You know, and she's all of a sudden, like, she's at the metal. That's like, what do you but is that a That's fan? interesting. I mean, I, I, well, I you know, I mean, if you, if you do a show about fandom, if you do a show about fandom, you have to bring up the Grateful Dead because, I mean, are there any more um, oh, yeah, that's, cult-like what, fans? The, that, you're I mean, right. I have friends to this day that swear by all those albums, and I, I never got into them because, and it's a very, very strange reason why. I read... There, there was a compendium of uh, Rolling Stone record reviews back in the day, Carl. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> and um, what they said about the Grateful Dead, I'll never forget. They said, this is the most overrated band in history. And so I read that having only heard a couple tracks, and I never went to those albums after that. I saw I saw them live a couple of times because you know yeah but what you, but again you got to give them credit here's a band who basically didn't record an album after like 73 and they were still selling out you know giant stadium for 40 years yeah. you yeah. know people went to see them at the pyramids you know they, they're like it was incredible the dead would so you gotta you know they're amazing and their their, their shows were like 11 hours it was like absurd yeah you know? of course <laughs> like freaking anyway let's hear that's the last answer by by lizzie cates see what she says Hey, this is Lizzie Cates, and uh, a band that I wasn't a huge fan of but now am obsessed with is the band from Iceland called Of Monsters and Men. I actually have some of their lyrics tattooed on my arm now. Short and sweet, Of Monsters and Men. I don't even know who that is. Do you? Anybody know that? I looked them up because I had no idea who they were. They're actually fairly good. and I mean, they've got like almost 500 million streams on a couple of their singles, so... Anyway, so that's it. We're like 45 minutes in. It's a long episode, actually. I know. See what happens when we come prepared. (laughs) So you want to talk us out, Nicole? I will. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the 9420 Podcast. For all of the links to everything that we've talked about in this show, you can go to 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y.com. We will talk to you all next time.